Well, good evening, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. My name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And at this point, I'd encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we are. And as you turn there, first of all, I am told that tonight we are having a special rooted graduation after the service for our latest rooted class. class. And there's a group of them. You're all right here, right? Can we give an applause to our latest graduates of our rooted class? And to those of you who uh, just went through Rooted, there's a couple things I want to say to you, okay? And I'm looking over here because I was told that most of them are over here. So I hope that's true. A couple things I want to say to you. First of all, I just want to let you know as a church genuinely how uh, proud we are of you. Uh, not only that you signed up for this in the first place, I know for many of you that was probably like a risk to do that. And hopefully you, you did that because you felt the, the prompting of God. But also that you, you stuck with this and you committed it for, to it through all 10 weeks. And I know that's not always easy to do and there's a lot of homework and that sort of thing. But again, I, I hope you did that because you were getting a lot out of it. And I really believe that Rooted is one of the, the strongest ministries that we have here at Friends Church. So that's one of the first things I want to say to you. And then the second thing I want to say to you is this, okay? You may be done with Rooted, but just so you know, God is not done with you. In fact, in many ways, I think God is just getting started. And you, we, we need you here at Friends Church, okay? You are a part of our body. And now that you have been trained up in this way, I am really excited to see uh, how God is going to use you here at Friends Church and, and all over the place. And so my greatest advice that I can give to you right now is to hang on to your hats and glasses. Because if you are open to it, I think there's a great adventure with God that's ahead for you. So once again, congratulations. Can we congratulate them again? Today, uh, we are unfortunately, and I do mean that very sincerely, we are unfortunately closing out our series in the book of 1 Peter. I have really, really enjoyed the time that we spent in this book. I kind of wish that we had 20 more weeks that we could spend in it, but I don't always get to choose those things. And so we, we are bringing things to an end here. And I want to warn you here today, as we close out this series in 1 Peter, we do have something a little bit different in store for us today. And you'll see why I say that in a few minutes. But before we get to the passage, we want to look at today in 1 Peter chapter 5. I do want to acknowledge, and, and Kyle talked about it just a second ago, just how important this day is in the Christian calendar. Uh, today, as Kyle said, or actually this weekend, is, is the weekend that we celebrate what is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, in case you don't know anything about Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is, is the day that it always occurs one week before Easter. And it's the day the Bible teaches us that, that Jesus marched into Jerusalem riding on a donkey for what would end up being his final week here on this earth before he was crucified. It starts Holy Week, which is this week that we are headed into. And uh, on the screens right now, we're going to put actually a, a video reenactment of Palm Sunday on the screens. And as you watch that, or better yet, if you've ever read the gospel accounts of Palm Sunday before, then one of the things you may know about Palm Sunday is Palm Sunday is really one of the, the most interesting combination of images that we have in our Bible. And the reason I say that is because on one hand, and, and you see it in that video and you see it in the gospel accounts, on Palm Sunday as Jesus was headed into Jerusalem, there was a crowd of people who surrounded him and they began to praise him and really they began to, to worship him. And if you know anything about Jesus' life, you know that that was not something 
that, that regularly happened during his earthly ministry. In fact, Jesus usually sort of shunned that sort of attention and that sort of recognition. But Palm Sunday was the exception to that. In fact, there's a, there's a great verse in the book of Luke where as the people are praising Jesus, the Pharisees tell Jesus, hey, you need to rebuke your disciples for, for praising you and worshiping you in this way. And Jesus says this, we'll put it on the screen, Luke 19.40. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Isn't that a great image? If they keep quiet, Jesus says, even the stones are going to begin to praise me. And so on Palm Sunday, Jesus, he received the, the praise that he was due. He received the praise that was rightly his as the Son of God. On the other hand, however, you know, one of the, the most uh, 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 lasting images about Palm Sunday is the fact that as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he rode on a donkey. And some of you may know that is, in fact, a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, written 500 years before Jesus came to this earth. It predicted that one day the king of Israel, that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So when Jesus did that, he was fulfilling that prophecy. But here's what's interesting. In, in many Jewish people's minds at this time, at the time that Jesus was around, they didn't know what to make of that prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. In fact, there were some, people, some Jewish people who didn't really believe that that applied to the Messiah, and there were other Jewish people who, who believed that, that that would not be fulfilled literally when the Messiah came to this earth. And the reason for that is because, and I've shared this with you many times before, in, in, in Jewish thought, most Jewish thought, it was believed that the Messiah was going to be a military hero. And yes, he would one day go into Jerusalem, but he wasn't going into Jerusalem to be crucified. He was going to go into Jerusalem to, to clean it up, to, to rid Jerusalem of the evil Roman Empire and to reestablish God's kingdom here on this earth. For that reason, if the Messiah was going to be this military hero, most Jewish people thought there's no way that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. That was not a warrior's animal. No, Jesus was supposed to ride, or the Messiah was supposed to ride into Jerusalem on a ferocious lion, or at the very least, a, a noble horse, or something like that. But, but Jesus didn't choose to do that. And in choosing to fulfill that prophecy literally, and choosing to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, what, what Jesus was doing is he was choosing the, the path of humility, Right? He was choosing the path of humility, which is really what his final week on this earth was all about. In fact, it was really what his whole life was all about. Throughout his life, Jesus always chose the path of humility. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking about here today. I'm going to pick it up here in the middle of verse 5 of 1 Peter 5, okay? Peter has just talked about the responsibility that a couple of different groups in the church have to one another. And after he talks about the responsibility that a couple of groups in the church have to one another, he talks about the responsibility that all of us as Christians have towards each other. And this is what he says. Pick it up with the middle, uh, verse 5, the words, all of you. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And we'll stop right there. And you can tell just from my one reading of that passage what the major theme of this passage is. It's all about humility. It's all about following the example that Jesus set for us, not just on Palm Sunday, 
But, but the example that Jesus set for us throughout his life, as it says at the beginning of that passage there, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Uh, the Greek word that is translated humility there is, is a very important word in our Bible. It's the Greek word tapenos, tapenos. And tapenos, it literally means lowly. But when used in discussions about humility, what tapenos means is it means to have a, a low view of, of one's importance. To have a low view of one's importance, which is really what humility is, right? To be humble is to have a low view of your importance. And what's really interesting about this whole concept of humility and the Greek word to pain us is, you know, nowadays, I would say generally speaking, even among non-Christians, humility is a virtue that is held in high esteem, right? Even those who don't believe what we believe, I think generally speaking, the world says, yes, humility is a great trait for people to pursue, well, just so you know, that was not at all the case in Jesus' time. In fact, it's really, really interesting. If you look at the other writings that we have around the time of Jesus, and you do a search for that word tapenos, what you will find is almost every single time that tapenos is used, it's always talked about in a negative light. You see, in the ancient world, tapenos, humility, it was identified as, as the attitude of the slaves of this time, of the lowliest of the society. For that reason, it was thought, listen, if you had achieved anything in this life, if you had gotten to any level in society above slave, you should not be humble. Humility should not be something that you should pursue. So that raises a question, right? Why would a virtue that was not looked upon positively by the world at this time, why would it be something that the, that the Bible lifts up? Well, at least part of the answer to that question is found in our passage. There's a key phrase in the middle of verse 6, and it's the phrase, God's mighty hand. You see, verse 6 says this. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And what's significant about that phrase is that is a phrase that Peter borrows from the Old Testament. Specifically, he borrows it from the book of Exodus, as God is leading the Israelites out of Egypt on their journey to the promised land. And if you search for that phrase, God's mighty hand in the Old Testament, what you will find is it's used quite frequently to refer to the power that God has. Whether it be the power that God has over the forces of nature, like when he split the Red Sea in two, that was uh, God's mighty hand is used in reference to that miracle. Or whether it be the, the power that God has over even the human heart. You will find the phrase God's mighty hand used in reference to when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then he ultimately softens Pharaoh's heart so he, let, so he would let the Israelites go. You see, God's mighty hand is sort of a, a code word. It's a code phrase in the Bible for God's power. And it's the Bible's teaching on God's power. That is really where this concept of humility comes from in Scripture. As we said, to be humble means, right, to have a low view of one's importance. Well, listen, there is no way that we can be confronted with what the Bible teaches about God. There's no way to really begin to understand what the Bible says about how all of us only exist because God allows us to exist, that our very lives, our very hearts are in his hand. Well, I mean, once you understand that, then the only proper response that can come from that is humility. And that is, by the way, and you even see it in this passage in verse 6, that's why throughout the Bible that we find that God so strongly opposes the proud and the arrogant in this world. 
And the reason why he does is because anybody who is prideful in this life, what they are showing by their arrogance is they are showing that they do not properly understand the power that God has. And therefore, they are not giving him the credit that he is due. This past week, I was thinking back to when I was in the financial world. And when I was in the financial world, I met my fair share of people who, let's say, had a very healthy opinion of themselves, okay? And by the way, you see that sometimes in the church world too, but that's another message for another time. But anyway, there are some people who, who, you know, they came across as a bit prideful. Now, some of them were very successful in this life. Some of them had raised, you know, had made tens of millions, if not a few of them, hundreds of millions of dollars. But when you talk to them, you could tell that they really believed that all of their success was because of them. And the way that you knew that is I would ask them sometimes, you know, how did you get to where you are? And they would tell me stories about how they worked harder or smarter than anybody else. Or they would talk about stories how they took risks where no one else took risks. Or they were creative and came up with things that nobody else came up with. And all the opportunities they took and that sort of thing. And, and as you listen to them, you really got the impression, wow, you, you really do think that all your success is because of you. That's why I was always tempted to ask him. I, I never did because I didn't want to lose my job. But I was, I was always tempted to ask him, well, well listen, as you went about your business, um, whose who's air were you breathing as you did that? And who was it that kept your heart beating? And, and who was it that spared you from those, you know, freak accidents or from those, you know, uh, debilitating illnesses so that you could get up in the morning and be able to do your work? Who is it that is really responsible for the success that you have? It's like what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. I've always loved these verses. We'll put it on the screen. God says this. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Isn't that a great couple of verses for our day and age especially? I want to email that off to the Jeff Bezoses and the Bill Gates and the Mark Cubans of the world. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced the wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The, the air that we breathe, the heart that keeps us going in this life, the, the eyes that we see out of, all of that comes from God and all of that is sustained by God. And when you recognize that, there is no room for pride or arrogance is there but i'll tell you what there's something else very interesting about pride and arrogance that peter talks about in this passage you know i think all of us listen to the stories like i just told you and we can immediately recognize the pride and the arrogance and people like that but but in this passage peter gives us another example of of pride that, that we don't think about all that often uh, it's found in verse 7. In my Bible, verse 7 is translated this way. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And, and on the surface, it looks like verse 7 is, is a new thought, right? Peter had talked about humility in verse 6, and now all of a sudden he's talking about anxiety. But that is not really what's going on here. Uh, this is one of those very rare places in my Bible where I do not like how the translators of my Bible translated the original Greek that Peter wrote in because it's not, it's not as literal as it could be. Uh, I'm going to put verses 6 and 7 on the screen here in a different translation of the Bible. It is not the new Chris Ward translation. This is a message on humility after all. This is the New American Standard version of the Bible. And this is much more literal to what Peter says here. And see if you can spot the difference. 
Peter says this, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Did you catch the difference? Let me read that again. He says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You see what's going on there? Verse 7 is not a new thought. And the way that Peter writes it, verse 7 is the continuation. It's actually the same sentence as verse 6. Now, I know that it may not seem like that big of a deal, but it is a big deal. Because if you follow the logic of what Peter is saying here, what he's saying here is one of the ways that we humble ourselves before God is by casting our anxiety on him. Well, if that's the case, when you put verses 6 and 7 together, you realize that what Peter is suggesting here is he is suggesting that anxiety, that worry, can be a form of pride. It can be a sign of a lack of humility. Now, we do have to be careful here, okay? As I have talked about several times before, uh, I do not believe it's true to say that all anxiety is a spiritual or a sinful issue. You know, one of the consequences of living in a fallen world is our bodies don't always work the way that they're supposed to work. And for some of us, that means our brains don't work this way they're supposed to work. And they don't always produce the chemicals they're supposed to to produce. And, And for some of us, what that can lead to is a chronic anxiety. And that has nothing to do with sin. That has nothing to do with pride. That's not a spiritual issue. It's it's a physical issue. So that is not, I don't think, what Peter is talking about here. Instead, what I think Peter is talking about here when he talks about anxiety is he's talking about those rare times when we find ourselves excessively worrying about how something is going to turn out in our life. Whether it be like how that job interview went or whether we're going to get into that college or you know, whether we're going to get married in our life or something like that. That's what Peter is talking about. What Peter says is that can be a sign of pride. But how can that be? Uh, we, we might be, you know, tempted to say, well, that's a sign of a lack of faith, maybe. But, but how is anxiety, how can it be a form of pride? Well, the answer is, it's, it's because of what we are saying about God implicitly or explicitly when we worry in those times. You see, when we choose to worry in those times about how things are going to turn out, whether we realize it or not, there's one of two things that we're saying about God. Either A, we're saying, God, I don't really believe you're in control. I don't believe you can figure this out or you have it figured out, and so I need to figure it out. And that obviously is pride. Or B, if we're not saying that, we're saying, God, I do believe you're in control. I do believe you have it figured out. But but I'm actually concerned that you don't know what's best for me. And, And I don't believe that what you have in store is what's best for me. And so I need to worry about it. And that is also a form of pride. It's like what happened this past week, just a few days ago. We were driving home as a family on my way home from, uh, our way home from a dinner out that we had. And uh, for the first part of the trip on on our way home, my middle daughter Madison, she got it in her mind that I didn't know where I was going. And so for the first few minutes of our car ride, she kept on saying, you know, Daddy, you don't know where you are. Daddy, you don't know how to get home. Daddy, you don't know where you're going, and so on. It was real fun, trust me. (laughs) And what is it, when you think about it, what is it that my daughter was doing in those moments? Well, what she was doing is she was questioning my intelligence, right? (laughs) 
She was questioning my ability and she was questioning my care and my concern for my family that I would continue to drive around without knowing where we are going. And I know no men in this room have ever done that before. And the ironic thing about that situation is, you know, if I had put my daughter behind the wheel and I had let her drive us home, what would have happened? We would have crashed, right? She can't even see over the steering wheel. Well, the same thing goes in our relationship with God. When we choose to worry in circumstances like that, really what we're saying to God is, God, I, I just don't think you know what you're doing. And, and I think I can do your job better. But do we really believe that? Would any of us want the responsibility of running this entire world for, for even an hour? <laughs> even 30 minutes? See, there's no way to have a proper view of who God is and, and who we are in comparison and not have anything but humble trust be what follows. And that's the interesting thing about humility. I really do not believe that true humility can be taught. False humility can, but I don't think true humility can be taught. True humility is only a byproduct of having a proper understanding of what the Bible teaches about God and a proper understanding of what the Bible teaches about us. True humility can only come when we recognize what the Bible says is the power that God has and the power that we do not have. And that is what leads us to this interesting thing that I, I warned you we're going to do here today. You know, uh, some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I gave a, a message on the uh, importance of God's Word to our spiritual growth in our lives. It was when I used the plant illustration, if you remember that. And I talked in that message how, you know, what water is to a plant and what food is to our physical bodies, so uh, uh, God's Word is to our spiritual lives. It's, it's the only way we can grow in our spiritual lives. And I don't know if that message had any sort of impact on any of you, but it did have an impact on me. You know, sometimes as, as pastors, honestly, because our own pride, we can begin to think that maybe we're responsible for the spiritual growth of, of the people who come to a church. But, but that's just not the case at all. I mean, I want you to know, if you have grown at all spiritually at this place, it is not because of anything that I've done. It's not because of anything that Matthew, Matthew has done. It is entirely because of the Spirit of God applying the Word of God to your hearts. And that is why the older I get, the more I recognize that the best thing I can do as your pastor is to get out of the way and to allow God's word to speak for itself. So in light of that, and in light of the fact that we are ending our series on 1 Peter this week, I did something this past week that some of you may remember I did about a year ago with another section of scripture, the Sermon on the Mount. And I did my best to try and memorize the book of 1 Peter this week. Now, just to let you know, I found it to be a lot harder than the Sermon on the Mount. So you're going to see, I will need to reference my notes a little bit during the, the next section of what we're going to do here today. But I thought as we close out this, this series on 1 Peter, I, I just want to deliver to you the, the message, the, the, the text, the, the words of 1 Peter. Because I think there is something very unique that happens when God's word is proclaimed just in that way. I think in a unique way, God's presence begins to fill this place and, and we end up different as a result because God's word never returns void and it always accomplishes the purposes for which it was sent. And so I want to give you God's word and nothing but God's word for a few minutes here. So that's what we're going to do. 
So our band is going to come up to stage right now. They have been patiently waiting, and they're going to lead us in another song as we sort of prepare ourselves for this time. And as we do that, would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads with me as we head into this time? So God, as we, uh, as we go into this time, Lord, God, I, I pray that you would help us to recognize the importance of humility, Father. God, the importance of recognizing that all that we are and all that we have, it comes from you, Lord. And therefore, God, the, uh, the, the importance of giving ourselves over to you wholly and completely, Father. And God, as we now sing about that, Lord, I pray that we would sing with hearts just ready to, to surrender to you, Lord, because you are the only one, Father, who is worthy, the only one who is worthy of that sort of surrender and that sort of glory, God. And then, Father, as we get the opportunity to uh, hear just directly from you, Father, I pray that your spirit would just fill this space in a unique way, God. Would you be with me? Would you help me to remember and recall um, the, the message of First Peter, Father? And God, I, I just pray that for those few minutes, God, nothing would get in the way of, of your word coming through. And so, God, we just continue to give the rest of this service over to you, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in and through it, Lord. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and, to his and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you, you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in glory, praise, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the times and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, because it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love each other deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this was the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in scripture, see I lay a a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe that stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, Now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against the soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority, or to the governors as those sent by him to punish those who do wrong and, 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 and to reward those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves. Out of reverent fear for God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you take a beating for doing what is wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for what is right and endure it, that is commendable before God. For to this you were called, for Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sins and no deceit was found on his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, 
He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. You all, like sheep, were gone astray. But you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather it should be that of, of your inner self, the, the, the unfading beauty of a, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is how the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters. If you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be sympathetic, be like-minded, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days, they must keep their lips from evil and their tongues from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously of your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for you, the, the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, while God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water now symbolizes baptism, which saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with, with the same attitude. For whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they no longer live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have had enough time in the past to do what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join with them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is the reason that the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead 
that they may be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its many forms. If, if someone speaks, they should do so as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If anyone suffers, it must not be as a murderer or as a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who, who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, the one who suffers according to God's will must entrust themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I urge you as a fellow elder and a, part, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and one who will participate in the glory to be revealed, shepherd God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over it those entrusted to your care, but being examples to them. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, those of you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, all of you, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, knowing that the, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying to you that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. 
She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of our Lord and all God's people said. Would you stand with me, please? Father God, we, um, we thank you for the gift of your word, Lord. We thank you for the power that it has, Father. We thank you that you are a God who um, has not left us in the dark, but you communicate with us. And you have done so, so clearly, and you continue to do so, God. And so, Father, I pray whatever it is um, that you want to, to accomplish tonight in the hearts of your people, and I understand it may be different for every single person here, Lord, would you take those parts of First Peter that you want us to hear, Lord, and would you, by the power of your Spirit, apply it to our hearts, God, so that we may be changed and different. And Father, I pray for anybody here who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray that as they hear these promises that Peter gives us about what a faith in Jesus does, I pray right now, God, you would open up their hearts to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior right now, Father. And they would know that all the great promises that I just talked about, God, that is now theirs in Christ Jesus, not because of anything that they've done, but because of what you have done. And so, God, as we close our time together with this final song, Lord, I, I pray that we would just give you uh, praise, the praise that you deserve through your son, Jesus Christ, God, and you would be pleased in and through uh, what it is that we do here, Father. We love you, God. We thank you. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.